O God, illumine our minds by the power of your Holy Spirit, so that as scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, our eyes may see your kingdom, our ears may hear the call of Jesus, and our hearts may know the joy of your salvation. Amen. Well, both of the passages I'll read today refer to places that most of us aren't so familiar with. So let me tell you a little about the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. Zebulun was the, the name of Jacob's tenth son, so it was one of the tribes of Israel. Remember, he had 12 sons. And by the way, Zebulun, North Carolina, well, that was named for the North Carolina governor, Zebulun Vance, from the 1800s, and he was named for a grandfather of his, and the grandfather was named for the place in the Bible this reference. Naphtali, well, Naphtali was Jacob's sixth son, and the land of Naphtali was bounded on the east by the upper Jordan River and the Sea of Galilee, and on the west by the territories of Zebulun and Asher. But the important thing about these two lands is that both of them had been conquered over and over. These lands, in a way, they were kind of like um, for the United States, they would kind of be comparable to Harper's Ferry, West Virginia. During the American Civil War, Harper's Ferry at the confluence of the Shenandoah and the Potomac Rivers and a railroad line. Harper's Ferry is captured and changed hands not once or twice, but eight times. They didn't know whether to wear gray or blue yet. <laughs> Which flag to fly? Not to mention they had all that John Brown rebellion business. Well, Zebulun and Naphtali, they were like Harper's Ferry in the sense of they were in distress and they were exhausted. Now the other place that's mentioned is Midian and the, in the day of Midian. And Midian is another one of those things you may not know so much about, but it might help to remember that that's where Gideon had that big battle. And uh, First of all, they sent a bunch of soldiers in, and he said, oh, this is way too many soldiers, and so he sent a bunch of them home. Any of you got, you know, just got married or got family sick, y'all going home. And then they, they had another several tests to limit the number of people that were gonna go into battle. And finally, they said, okay, have them go get some water at the creek. And those that scoop it up with their hand like a cup send them on home, and those that laugh like a dog, they're the ones you take into battle. So that this much reduced force got taken into battle. And the point was that if, if you take a huge, awing, awesome force in, they'll, uh, they'll say, ooh, it was your big army that won the battle. But if you just take a few people, you'll know that it was God that helped you win, and they did win that battle. So the if you're curious about that, if you're not sure you believe me about that, go back and read Judges, oh, the seventh chapter. It's quite a story involving a tent and a, and a dream about bread. So pique your interest there. Well, back to Isaiah. Listen now for the word of God from the ninth chapter of Isaiah. And again, I'm reading that common English Bible, the newer translation. Nonetheless, 
Those who were in distress won't be exhausted. And in an earlier time, God cursed the land of Nebulun and the land of Naphtali. But later, he glorified the, the way of the sea, the far side of the Jordan and the Galilee of the nations. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in a pitch dark land, light has dawned. You have made the nation great. You have increased its joy. They rejoiced before you as, as with joy at the harvest, as those who divide plunder rejoice. As on the day of Midian, you shattered the yoke that burdened them, the staff on their shoulders, and the rod of their oppressor. And moving to our gospel reading from the fourth chapter of Matthew, starting at the 12th verse. Now when Jesus heard that John, that is John the Baptist, John was arrested, he went to Galilee. He left Nazareth and settled in Capernaum, which lies along the sea in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. This fulfilled what Isaiah the prophet said, land of, Naphtali, of Zebulun and land of Naphtali along the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who lived in the dark have seen a great light and a light has come upon those who lived in the region and in the shadow of death. From that time, Jesus began to announce, change your hearts and lives. Here comes the kingdom of heaven. As Jesus walked along the side of the Galilee Sea, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew throwing fishnets into the sea because they were fishermen. Come follow me, he said, and I'll show you how to fish for people. Right away. They left their nets and followed him. Continuing on, he saw another set of brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, repairing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus traveled throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogue. He announced the good news of the kingdom and healed every disease and sickness among the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh Lord, may my words and may our thoughts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What occurred to you when you saw today's sermon titled Dark or Light? Well, some of us have been in serving lines over the years where the question had to do with which part of the chicken you wanted. <laughs> Dark meat or light? My family may have thought of the question I ask when I come in when they're watching a football or basketball game. They know, of course, that I'm colorblind and I just want to know, is our team wearing dark or light? You know, at one time, all the home teams wore light white jerseys, and it was no question, but that's not always true these days. But that darker light question here has nothing to do 
with chicken or ball games, but with a before and after, a radical contrast that shows up both in Isaiah and in the Gospel of Matthew. Now, two things, two main things happen in the verses that we read from Matthew. First, Jesus begins his ministry, and second, Jesus calls disciples. In that 17th verse, Jesus announces, proclaims, really, his basic message, change your hearts and lives. Here comes the kingdom of heaven. Now, some translations say, repent, instead of change your hearts and lives. Well, the problem is many, many people think of repent. That, that just means to say, I'm sorry, this time. But there's more to it. There's more to it than that. Change your heart and life is much more than a little apology. The fellow that put out all the fake news, who I'm ashamed to say went to the same college I did, just graduated last year. In the paper today, he has one of those non-apology apologies. You know, I'm, I'm, uh, I regret, I'll say I regret to anyone who's offended. That's a non-apology apology. If you think I was wrong, I'm, I'm sorry you think that. <laughs> That's what he really means. Well, it's more than that. It's a transformation. It's a radical change from walking in darkness to walking in the light. The second event in the verses we read from Matthew is that Jesus called four disciples, two sets of brothers, Simon and Andrew, James and John. The first two left their fishing nets and the other two left their boat and their daddy. When they answered Jesus' call, they left their jobs, they left the way that they fed themselves, they left their livelihood, their future, and their families. Talk about making a radical change in their lives. But, there was something they knew about Jesus, something they sent, something they trusted that much. That they put their lives, their very lives, in his hands. Well, in some ways, that's not much of a surprise now, is it? After all, all of us, or most of us, think, oh, if Jesus called us, oh, yes, I'm sure I'd go. Son of God asked me to go do something, sure I will. We like to think that we would certainly recognize the Son of God. Well, we also like to think that we'd put out whatever it is we're doing. We would say, let me just finish this text or tweet or whatever. We'd put out whatever we were doing and follow him. And maybe we would. Maybe. But think about the other side of this calling. What was it about these men? Simon and Andrew, James and John. What was it about them that Jesus perceived that of all the people around that he called them, saying, come, follow me. Years and years ago, I, I stood in a crowd of mourners in a cemetery in Raleigh. One of my professors from grad school had died. The Episcopal priest had said all the things he needed to and read a whole lot. 
And then he asked if any of us had something to say. Well, one fellow did. And I was tapping forward when he said, well, he basically decided we'd all stood around long enough and he began his final prayer. It's kind of like sometimes at a wedding, they call that publishing the bulls in the wedding when the minister says, if anyone has reason, these two should not be joined together. My mama used to say, tell my dad that he waited too long at that point. He's supposed to keep going. <laughs> well, in the ancient days, they published the bulls. They put it on a bulletin board and say, Paul and Betty are going to get married. Is there some reason they shouldn't? And somebody said, oh, didn't you know they're cousins or whatever? <laughs> or didn't know she was already married or something, you know? That was, that was the reasoning behind that. And so that's why it's in the service. Well, speak now for overhold your peace. <laughs> Well, he figured he'd, he'd stood there all long enough. And then later on, one of my colleagues asked, I wanted to hear what you had to say. What were you going to say? I said, I was going to speak on behalf of this professor's many graduate students, people like me who held positions at that point as mature adults, positions of considerable responsibility and who got to be called doctor and make important decisions. I was gonna say that her talent, this professor's talent, was that she could look at us when we were young students, fresh out of college, thinking we knew it all or knew everything important. And yet she could see potential in us. She knew that she could develop that potential and that she could send us out in the great world to practice what we had learned from her. Well, think about it. Jesus looked at these fishermen and a tax collector and some others. They didn't have any degrees that showed that they had a degree in discipleship and were qualified. They didn't have any test scores. They didn't take the GRE in discipleship or whatever. There apparently were no interviews. Tell me what makes you think you'd be a good disciple. There weren't any interviews like they do for jobs. What skills and talents do you bring to this and yet, Jesus saw in them talent, skills, and abilities that he would develop to eventually form the church and change the course of history with fishermen and a tax collector. A tax collector was named Matthew, you remember. Well, don't you wonder what Jesus saw in these men? What was it about them that he saw? Whatever it was, would he see it in us? Well, guess what? Jesus calls to us, come follow me. He still calls to us, change your hearts and lives. Here comes the kingdom of heaven. At most uh, businesses or agencies, private or public, at most colleges and universities, you'll find programs, courses, workshops, or plans to develop leaders. If you go to any bookstore or on Amazon, especially to the business section, you'll find lots of books about leadership. What you won't find, you won't find any courses or programs or plans or books to develop followers. <laughs> but in a way, that's kind of our job as a church. We're much more likely to call it Developing disciples or whatever, <coughs> growing disciples. 
But what are the disciples but people who follow Jesus? People who follow the commands of Jesus to love God and love our fellow human beings, even though they don't seem to deserve it sometimes. A disciple of Jesus Christ is a person who seeks to follow his example. Remember, he went about teaching and healing and proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom, calling other disciples, people like you and me, to follow his example. Over in the uh, fifth chapter of the letter to the Ephesians, we read, You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, so live your life as children of light. We were once darkness, but we have been called to be disciples, to be children of light. God is calling you and me to be transformed from our old self-centered, selfish selves to become disciples of Jesus Christ. And each of us, every one of us, has a choice. So, I, so which will it be? Dark or light? Thanks be to God. Christ has called not just the twelve, but all of us to be fishers of women and men for the sake of the kingdom. So go now in peace to love and serve the Lord. May the grace of Christ who calls us go with you. May the power of the Holy Spirit sustain you. May the salvation of God who loves us all give you peace.